was a lion in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot in a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can holler ass and travel with portable speakers playing Boz Stacks. Wish I had a million dollars. Wish I had a million albums. Wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I wish, I wish. And every time we love and it feels just like this. I wish, I wish, and every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish, and every time we love and it feels just like this. It feels just like this. It feels. I wish I had a time machine. Wish I had a better rhyming scheme. Wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from my lime bean. I wish that I could spread my wings. I wish that I had seven limbs. Yeah. That way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things. I wish I spoke fluent Spanish. Dímelo, dímelo. At least I kind of understand it. <laughs> wish that I could throw the deuce like Gambit and get so large I could play pool with the planets. Yeah. I wish I was an astronaut. I wish I knew more classic rock. <laughs> Focused on myself. You can't help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like... I wish, I wish, that every time we love it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish, that every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish, that every time we move it, it feels just like this. Feels just like this. It's just, it's like, like who the donkey? We would turn some dumb shit into something that got everybody wild in our circumference. episode of the debrief oh there it is there it is i'm your host brianna joy gray and we have i think a much anticipated episode maybe that's not entirely fair because i've been anticipating it because i knew that i was planning this after all of the layered responses that we got to the um vinay prasad episode i said you know people recommended this person and that person a lot of people recommended that i talk to justin feldman i was apprehensive at first because i wasn't wild about the way that uh some of the Twitter dialogue went down. I understand that there is a presumption about people's views and politics that can um, come from Twitter land where there's not a lot of depth to the analysis. And so, you know, I didn't love it. And I was looking for other people, but ultimately once my temper is cooled a little bit, I said, Hey, I respect my audience. I respect the recommendation. So I reached out and invited him on as well as Jamie Steltzer, who reached out herself. Uh, her, she had been observing the dialogue, I think, from the perspective of her institutional position and thought that she had some good thoughts to, to offer up, especially in the realm of long COVID. And I agreed. So this is a warning to everyone to not, you know, if I do an episode, don't agree with it. You don't have to, you know, call me a fascist and tell me I love genocide or tell me that I want people to die from COVID and don't have any compassion and that I'm a horrible, monstrous human being, you could just offer up the person that you think I should talk to in the alternative, not presume that my beliefs are completely aligned with those of the guests that I've interviewed and allow us all as a community 
to assess the opinions that are out there and come to our own conclusions without being, you know, a total D-I-C-K on Al Gore's internet. So that's what today's episode was. Today's episode was an opportunity to hear, you know, a different perspective. I have heard a lot of critiques of Vinay Prasad, some of which I think have merit, some of which I think are overblown. And I would rather just hear everybody out. This is also just a warning, just FYI. If you think that something or somebody is wrong on the internet, which hashtag was the name of my old podcast, Spody, someone's wrong on the internet, you will do your position so much better service to just say in true words that have a persuasive effect, why? Because I'll tell you, I read so much commentary back and forth, I don't even understand what the arguments are half the time. Because the entire discourse is just, you are horrible. You love genocide. You suck. You are stupid. Da, 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 da. Honestly, you're persuading no one. You're persuading no one. What is persuasive? All there is, all we have in this world where so many institutions of so-called credibility are undermined by their behavior over the course of the past years, when there's so much you know, bipartisanship and so much division, all you really have, so many people are just relying on various presentations from people who are willing to come to the table and engage with each other. So that's what we had this week. I was surprised, pleasantly surprised to see that people apparently had um, enjoyed it. I hope that you would. And I'm very, very eager to hear what you have to say. Another caveat, I know we're starting a little bit later this evening and I have a lot on my plate for tomorrow. So I can't do like a multi-hour marathon session tonight. So we have to keep it kind of short and sweet. That's a lesson to all of the people who are calling in. I know that I have created this as a space where we all talk for like 20 minutes at a time. And I really enjoy that. But in the interest of trying to get as many people in as possible today, I am going to try to be a little bit more brief with the comments. It's hard for me as well as you hear with this rambling preamble. So let's get to it. Isaac, what's on your mind tonight? Uh, can you hear me? Loud and clear. What's on your mind, my friend? So I, uh, I actually have a couple things to say that are not entirely related to the episode. Ooh, big risk. Big risk, Isaac. But shoot your shot. Let's hear it. Yeah, they're they're quick though. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. First, uh, for the episode, you talked about or who the the lady brought up like <clears throat> scientific literacy, and I think that she was talking about something that is probably a little bit beyond the purview of what like the average citizen is talking about. Mm. Just because like I like she's talking about or at least it sounded like she was talking about um you know being able to read through the statistical data and all that but i mm-hmm. i think maybe it's more pressing that we just have a level of scientific literacy in the country and elsewhere where like someone can say something and then two months later it's like hey we actually learned that that wasn't right and it doesn't cause an uproar Mm. because that's just the scientific process Mm -hmm. well i think i think that that's right but part of the issue is that the initial conclusion is relayed not just as a scientific theory a possibility something that seems to be true with the information that we know but is subject to change it's presented as a certainty with a lot of moralizing behind it and sometimes that moralizing holds up because the science ends up holding up and sometimes it doesn't and what has happened in the context of covid 
it's not just like, oh, you know, obviously we didn't really know, there was no way to really know, given how quickly the vaccines were developed, how much they were going to prevent transmission. We didn't really know a lot of things. So of course, you know, you have to be open-minded and flexible when we change the advice or we change the explanation of what's going to happen. No, when it, when they came out, there was a lot of this. If you don't take this, it's because you want your friend's grandmother to die. And, and I'm not, I don't mean to like dogpile on people who have that approach. I believe that to be true because that's how I, what I was told. But ultimately I think we were all underserved by a failure. And I think that um, director Seltzer said this, we were all underserved by a failure to acknowledge that even the scientists, even the so-called experts didn't know with certainty and that they didn't really respect the public enough or have enough confidence in the public to believe that they could handle the level of nuance that the moment really required. And now we're all living in the con- with the consequences of that. Uh, well, that's exactly what I'm talking about is like if if we had some sort of base scientific literacy within you know our population and like our education here is so bad or whatever – but they would just, at the very least, understand that the entire world is going through a learning process, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But that, yeah, I don't, I don't know. That that was the one thing I had for today. I I had two just very fast anad- anecdotes though. Mm-hmm. It, um, <laughs> first one, uh, the last time I was on, on, I talked about the, uh, the like saying that you know things are in decline and how effective that is and if we could use it and then like two days later trump started his shit about like you know this is a nation in decline and everybody started doing like the q hand in the air um, what's q hand uh like the big foam finger you know like just the one finger pointing up oh oh i thought it was like you know like the black fraternity like a q like a I'm doing it, but you can't see me. So, <laughs> okay, but not that. Cue like the mysterious uh, 4chan, 8chan person. Yeah, like the 8 coon guys. That, well, and that's, again, not, it was just a lead in, but like he started doing that, or people in the crowd were doing that because it's like where we go one, we go all um, because they're a bunch of freaks. But, um, <laughs> okay. The, so, so, so he's talking about the, but haven't, haven't conservatives kind of been talking about a world in decline for a long time? I mean, Trump, that was his, his whole thing back in 2016. And it's not like wrong. Well, forever. I, I just was curious about your thoughts about, you know, capturing that energy. And here's my anecdote is that like people can say just the most absurd, ridiculous stuff and it gets like, an outrageous response from the base and um back when crt stuff was popping off uh in my area when people first started attending school board meetings somebody i think it was the first time that the school board meetings started up after christopher rufo came out and did the Mm -hmm. crt thing Mm -hmm. um a guy who is now my hero in my community went up in front of a crowd and got on mic and he just said with a straight face my daughter did not cause hiroshima i don't i don't understand i don't he, understand 
<laughs> you're not supposed to, but he was <laughs> sorry, he he was just so lost in the sauce that he said, like, basically, my daughter, who is presumably like ten years old, did not bomb Nagasaki. So it was his point that he feels like contemporary implicitly white students are being asked to feel guilty about the actions of people from, you know, half a century ago or something. Yeah, 100%. And he was so caught up in it that he decided to pull that out. It's, 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 it's a weird thing because I mean, like in that situation, it's like, I, I am, I, I hypothetically, the hypothetical me is as American as anybody could be. Like truly, uh, outside of a Native American Happy Indigenous Peoples Day, I'm sorry, but you know, I, I, and it would never even occur to me to think of a lesson about you know the horrors of dropping atom bombs on you know civilian populations as somehow an indictment of my own personal behavior or like about my like racial group or my national like me me as a part of a broader national project that did in fact do the bad thing. Like I don't. I don't know. This is a contra. I don't, me personally, I don't take on to myself the actions of the American military. <laughs> but look, I, I also do appreciate, like, there are, there is a certain kind of liberal discourse that does individualize and personalize, um, you know, important historical lessons that I think are lessons for society, but not for individuals in a way that has led to some of this. I'm not saying that that bears the brunt of the blame. A lot of this is just asinine. But Christopher Rufo got his teeth in, folks, because there was a there there. There was a little bit of a there there. I I, I will acknowledge that. I was just talking to this with a, a friend of mine today, a white friend today, and he was saying that um, I, I was I was like I was like talking about the Kanye West stuff and the um, uh, he's Jewish. And I was talking about the Kanye West stuff and the uh, uh, Candace Owens had done a video a day or two before the like the whole like the I'm going DEFCON 4 on Jews or whatever tweet um oh God. you didn't see that you guys didn't see that <laughs> I, oh wait no that's why he was like banned from yeah Twitter, he's right? off Twitter because of that but before that he went to the fashion show with Candace Owens and wore those white lives matter shirts and we were talking about white lives matter as a slogan and I was I, like I kind of said glibly well of all uh, people come after um People come to defund the police. Uh, defund the police is a bad slogan all the time. But like, if we're talking about slogans that could have used, you know, some work in drafts, what about Black Lives Matter? Because the problem, with, the problem is, all lives matter is kind of. This is the hot take. Imagine if I go down over this. All lives matter is kind of what was meant. The whole point is that Black Lives Matter aren't considered to be as valuable as black as white lives by a whole host of metrics, and Black Lives Matter is supposed to be a recommitment to the idea that we should have substantive equality. But when people did in fact say all lives matter, it was intended as a rebuke of the idea that black lives have equality, but it also could come across for people who are not that savvy as just a statement of the principle that black lives matter is intended to evoke, which is that all lives matter and equally in a way that black lives are not currently under the law. And it, I, the, the 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 Candace Owens gag with the t-shirts is that she she wore the t-shirt everyone predictably got mad and then she turned around and said 
Well, you told us when you wore Black Lives Matter t-shirts, it wasn't intended to imply that black lives meant more than other kinds of lives. So why is it that when I wear a White Lives Matter t-shirt, it isn't a similar statement of racial equality? Now, we all know what the bait and switch is here, and we all know we all know that this isn't bad faith. We all know all of those things. But it is a trap that kind of is very predictably being set and that we're all falling into. Why did I bring this up? What did you bring up? Why did I bring all of that? <laughs> it's because I had this statement about the guy in my community who said, my daughter did not cause Hiroshima. Yeah, I guess I guess the reason... <laughs> so there there is a... I found myself, we were going back and forth and he was saying like, no, he thinks that Black Lives Matter is a good slogan. I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. And we were going back and forth about it. And um, he, he uh, I, I, my basic point was that like, because there are some people who when presented with the idea of all lives matter in the public sphere, reacted very kind of angrily for obvious reasons that I understand and said, no, no, no. Like you're saying that because you're a racist, you know, your all lives matter is really a statement of white supremacy, da, 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 da people did start to feel that like, I don't know, there's this like weird edginess that didn't necessarily have to be there. If, if I could have planned, if I could have planned, if I could have been doing comms for the broad liberal left, I would have, I would have gone on TV. And the first time one of these smug cretins said all lives matter, I would have said in my best compassionate Dr. Phil voice, you know what? All lives do matter. And I really wish we lived in a world where that were reflected in our jurisprudence and the, the, the way the police a- approached the general public. I wish it were reflected in our housing laws and the way that wealth is distributed in this country. I wish it were reflected in the percentage of times that people got the death penalty or who gets approved for loans or who gets a yes during the job application process. Unfortunately, that's not the world we live in, so... Will you commit with me to make sure that all lives really do matter equally and reaffirm that, yes, black lives matter, too? <laughs> yeah, uh, yo, there there was like a really good, I want to say comic that I saw once upon a time uh, where it was like some parents at the beach and there's a kid drowning in the water. And one of the parents is like, holy shit, like Timmy, like his life matters. And all the other kids are on the beach and the other parents like, no, all our kids' lives matter. And the parents like, what the fuck? Like Timmy is literally drowning right now. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was that. Yeah, that's what my friends, my friends are like, apparently somebody canceled, told this joke and it was good. Maybe it was Louis CK. I don't know. He heard a good joke somewhere that was the, to the effect of like, what if your wife says, I love you. And then you say, I love everyone. Like, doesn't that prove the point? And I was like, yes, but that's not the best analogy because you are supposed to love your wife more than other people. <laughs> there is an implicit hierarchy there. And the reason she's mad is because you're not supposed to love everybody equally. You're supposed to love your wife and family more. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, I yeah. don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I've, I said I was going to keep it brief and I've already uh, been with you for 20 minutes. So I'm going to go on Isaac, but I appreciate you and keep the faith. Will do. Keep the faith. All right. David, how are you? What's on your mind this evening? My house is on fire, but, you know, all lives matter. Wait, all your house, house is on fire? All houses matter. My bad. I messed that up. Oh. 
about to say, I, David, I kind of feel like you should log off and take care of your burning no. house situation. <laughs> but you know, if your house is on fire and then all houses do matter, but yeah. your house is the one that's on fire. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm great tonight. I hope you guys are all doing great as well. Uh, I, I, I thought am. the episode mm-hmm. oh, I thought the episode was great, personally. Um, now, granted, I can understand some of the frustrations that I saw um, in the comments um, on Patreon because there were multiple times sitting through it. I felt like I was sitting in a meeting with nursing managers who haven't been on the floor in years, try and tell us how to do things that they don't know how to do, like you know, specific care. It's just the cavalier attitude that I think the two doctors came with. Not that they weren't a wealth of information, and I, I greatly appreciate a lot of the things that they had to say. That was just the the feeling that I got from it a lot. But um, yeah, I get that. By the way, David, you're cutting out at very regular intervals, and we're only losing oh. like a second every time it cuts out. So I can mostly still understand you. Just FYI, I'm not sure if there's anything to be done about that. Okay. Um. I'm not sure what's causing that. Is it still happening? So far, so good. So far, so good. Okay, it might just be that oh, one. There, it just went. It just went out. It just went. It's just like a. It's like just for a snap. So I only lose like half a word. But whatever. Just just keep just okay. keep pressing. I'll try and make it brief. From your interview, do did you glean that they gave us a combination of methodologies that would maximize American involvement to actually kind of break the pandemic? Because we you, yes. you got into that conversation a lot, but I never felt like that was ever pinned down in any real substantive way. So I think the fundamental problem that a lot of people on the and again, I have a hard time like characterizing what these different sides here are, but the kind of like COVID's not over side, let's call it that versus the, <laughs> I don't, I don't, by the way, I think the other side, I think that's like COVID is over per se, but they definitely think that some of the more um, uh, overbearing interventions should be done. Like we're going to have to live with it on some level versus oh. the, we need to not diminish the lives that are still being very much affected by this side. I don't know. Okay. But like, I think that the problem with the, with the like COVID is not oversight is that unlike the other side, they don't have as much of a prescription for what they want the affirmed, uh, the world to affirmatively look like. So they say a lot of stuff about how like we shouldn't forget about people and we should, um, you know, care more about the immunocompromised and we shouldn't be indifferent to the fact that the death toll is still very high. And we, you know, we shouldn't forget about the people who feel like they can't go back to work. And, and I could not agree more with every single aspect of that. But what the other side has is specific claims about how the policy should be different based, uh, different than how it's currently being implemented. So they were specifically against school closures because they had specific concerns about learning loss and people being able to stay home with their kids. And they said they were against, um, you know, so-called shutdowns because, you know, the entrepreneur, the, the people who own businesses, small business owners had their livelihoods being taken away. And what was the end date, especially when the government wasn't going to, uh, pick up the flack and the eviction moratoriums and all of that ended. And I think there was a version of the um, COVID is an oversight that could be similarly assertive in their prescriptions. But they, when I talk to them, they tend, they tend to just say these kind of um, moral statements that I absolutely agree with, but that aren't necessarily so tethered to a policy prescription. So it can make them sound either wishy-washy or like they support some very maximalist views, which 
again, I'm open to hearing an argument about why the maximalist things should still be in effect. But even the two guests today, when pressed, didn't support ongoing business lockdowns, right? And Mm -hmm. seemed to acknowledge that kids had to be back in school. And that's not to like concede the broader point, like, okay, kids can be back in school. That is why we need to talk more about ventil- um, uh, HVAC, yes. HVAC yes. systems. That's yes. why we need to talk more about having classes outdoors as long as weather permits. That's why we need to talk about masking. That's why we need to talk about other things. But with, because of the, I think a certain unwillingness that I sense from that side to commit to what the actual world looks like. You know, you can't just say we can't forget the immunocompromise. Say something affirmative about what that means, what that looks like. And if it means, you know, everyone's still masking, just own that and say it. I I mask. Now, if it means a mask mandate, that's a whole debate you're going to have to have with a bunch of other people that aren't me. (laughs) But, like, you can very well advocate for masking. You can talk about what masks are effective and to what extent and and how the government should be sending it to you for free. But... It ends up just being a conversation where people presume that it's one side saying full shutdowns, mask mandates, the, the kind of ma- most maximalist version. And the other side is saying, well, what about all of the negative consequences of that? What are the fact that 40% of black students in DC were not going to be able to start school because there was a vaccine mandate? What about that? What about what about? And then the maximalist side starts to look like really out of touch. So isn't there a way that we can better form the conversation to be something that certain people are not going to like. For example, if I were trying to make the argument, and please tell me if I'm completely off base, I would say, okay, right, kids definitely need to be in school, which is why the government needs to be funding up, like you, like you always point out, upgrading the ventilation system mm. for every school, and then mandating that it go to that. If not, send. If not, doing the what is it, the um, engineers' core, sending them out to or using them to get it done. And then keep talking about things in that way, sending people their, their masks, making sure that everybody has a mask, sending, like, why are we still, it seems like we're not having that conversation that the left, I mean, that, that progressives or, or progressive minded people would just absolutely be dominating because we could just be shouting about, oh, we could use, you know, uh, uh, um, um, what's it called? Um, modern uh, m- modern monetary theory to fund all of this, and we don't have to ask where the money is going to come from because we can just fix all of these things. And if you need to go to the hospital, you can just go to the hospital because we can just fund that. Like I feel like we're not having that conversation. Do you know? Do you have any as reason as to why that doesn't seem to be the discourse? I think that because most of the COVID conversation, like any critical any criticism of Biden and the CDC has basically come from the right slash independent slash some parts of the like the like the far left meaning you know the real like the part of the left I don't mean to say that in an alienating way I mean like the part that we're all kind of in um I I think that it has been not as uh, socialisty in its solutions as it might have been if it were just fully just the left owning this issue so it has been about what it doesn't want to happen, the freedoms it wants to have, the freedom from mandates, and not about what the government's responsibility is. And that is it but my ongoing fight with Robbie and on rising. Like, okay, you're mad about mandates. I get it. They're mostly gone now. So do you are you happy with being left all alone to de- deal with this thing that hasn't gone away? Or do you want if you don't want masking, I think that's I mean, like let's say if you don't want mandates. 
then you have to be willing to address the underlying problem still isn't gone. Like I, I understand from a libertarian perspective as a libertarian socialist, I am not comfortable with mandates, especially, I think there's a time and a place where eventually it comes to that, but especially given that carrots were not really offered the way they could have been offered to induce people to like make certain kinds of choices. It was premature and it ultimately ended up in a political firestorm, obviously. So and I like, agree with that because yes. carrots tend to work better, but I, I, I've always been of two of the two minds that we should be using carrots and sticks. You want to incentivize people, but the, and, and this is just me, mm. the, the, the governmental mandate makes it easier for people to kind of fall in line. Cause it's like, Oh, well, the government said I have to do it. So all the businesses, which you guys touched on in the episode. Mm. So I kind of think a combination actually is helpful, but I do, I am in favor of incentivizing because we know even with raising children, incentives work so much better than, you know, hitting them. Well, I would have liked to have seen like the, if, if the DC public schools wanted more schools, wanted more kids to be vaccinated before they came to school, why not set up vaccination centers in front of school beforehand to give people the opportunity to get vaccinated on the first day of school or the day before school yeah. starts? Because how many of those parents didn't get their kids vaccinated because they had an ideological opposition to vaccines? And how many of them just were busy? COVID's right. been going on for two years. Kids are in a low-risk group as a whole. Just didn't feel like spending their Saturday driving to find out where this thing was even going to happen, worrying about whether it was free, if their insurance was going to cover it. Right. Like, so just it, make it easy for people. Make it yeah. clear and obvious for people. But not that's, that kind of stuff wasn't even tried. So I, I think that the reason that we do, we aren't having this conversation to your question about like, you know, okay, if people, if COVID's still a problem, but you don't want mandates, what that means is you are very aggressive by the, the uh, government helping with the ventilation system and funding it. You're very aggressive about free mask and free testing, making sure that testing is widely available. You're very aggressive about making sure that when people test positive, they get paid sick days to stay home and actually recover instead of coming back and spreading it around like everyone feels compelled to do now. People don't even want to test anymore because they don't want to stay home because they don't actually, they can't miss their wages. Right. You know, they're not like this. This is this world that we've wrought. So like, I'm not mad. Like you can't be mad at the people who don't want to test and who don't want to do all of this stuff when there are these financial consequences that our government is also not taking care of. So the right leading this argument has basically pigeonholed us into this place where it's laissez-faire and we all know who's going to get hurt by it. And if the left had taken up this argument and, and been the face of some of the skepticism of the CDC's approach from the beginning, I think that we would have had more constructive arguments about what to do in lieu of some of the more, for lack of a better word, draconian measures. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's absolutely accurate. All right. Um, I have so much more, but I'm going to let you get to some other people, but I do want to ask one more question. Is Robbie okay? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> because I saw our girl, our favorite public defender, get spotlighted <laughs> on John Oliver, and it was just glorious. So I'm just wondering, is Robbie okay? <laughs> I haven't spoken to him since Thursday's episode, um, but I will be going in bright early tomorrow morning, which is why I will not be going for very long tonight, I'm afraid. Because I also am, if you guys don't know uh, who Vanessa A.B. is, she's... Uh, formerly a writer for Current Affairs Magazine. She is uh, terrific. She works for CFPB. She's a friend of mine from law school and wrote this wonderful memoir um, about growing up Cameroonian in France and then in England and then in 
Reno, Nevada, and, and and all kinds of very complex and interesting, oftentimes low income environments. Um, it's a it's a fascinating memoir, and I need to get through the rest of it because I am hosting her book talk tomorrow here in D.C. So I've got a big crowd of day tomorrow. Um, I know that everyone has these very high expectations for what my first radar is going to be on Wednesday, and I'm not going to have very much time to write it tomorrow. Uh, but I will see. That's all to say. I will see Robbie for the first time tomorrow morning, and I will check in with him. Um, but that it, it's amazing. It's amazing to see Ole get that um, airing on. Uh, uh, John, John Oliver's Oliver. show, yeah. and she will be on a episode of Bad Faith Podcast coming up soon. So, oh, now I'm excited. There's, there's never, there's never enough Ole as far as I'm concerned. All right, thanks, Bree. Thank you. Take uh, keep the faith, David. You too. All right, Shelly, what's on your mind tonight? Hey, Bree, how are you? I'm doing well. What's up? What's on your mind? Well, COVID is not on my mind tonight. <laughs> But um, I I guess I'll comment on it because it's just the topic of the episode. But I guess the first thing that I kind of wanted to talk to you about is, man, I've never seen a tweet in the past, like, what, year and a half, two years, get more interaction than your video of Aaron Mate and most (laughs) were incredibly nasty and incredibly disparaging. And I feel like that had something to do with your opening tonight. Am I right on that? Um. What's funny is, well, actually, I was kind of thinking about the, I mean, I, there were, look, there was a lot of, like, not so positive pushback to the actual Vinay Prasad episode, where, I mean, there's this, like, knee-jerk presumption, and again, I'm not trying to throw Dr. Prasad under the bus either, because there was a lot that he said that I did agree with, but there is this presumption that because I talk to someone, because I quote-unquote platform them, that I am you know, a hundred percent agree with their views that I, it was an uncritical interview that I am somehow like a toady of them and they will direct the same amount of energy at me that they have for the person that they don't like for perhaps substantive reasons. And it's insane. It's like if Oprah interviews Henry Kissinger, do we assume that Oprah is a war criminal? Like I don't understand. I'm, not, I'm obviously not to say that I'm well, Oprah I mean, or anything. Well, he is, but now that you've talked to Aaron Mate, I just assume <laughs> that you're a fascist and a genocide denier, <laughs> and you know, I mean, just all the things. Yeah, I mean, to, it's 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 bizarre, and also, yeah, look, it is about that because I, I really appreciate Aaron. I thought that his, you know, explanation, his chronology of events is so clear and cogent and easy to understand as compared to so many other people that I've tried to talk to about the precipitating events in Ukraine. Now, of course it is true as with any guest that it's possible that there are nuances in the position or counter arguments to their position that I might be edified by. And I would love for people just to use their words, their words in the, in, in, in the English that I understand, unfortunately, solely among all the world's languages. Just put the words in a sequence that could explain your position Without and explain this. to me why. But they don't do that. No, so- they just they just say, <laughs> not a good look, Bree. Oh, my God. I can't believe Bree. What can you not believe? Can you not believe the people in the fucking world that have analyzed some data differently than you? Like it's just some of, or maybe they've read some more books or maybe they have a particular area they specialize in. And so maybe they have some information that other people don't have. doesn't mean that you always agree with it. It You are trying to find the answers so that people can better understand the situation. Right. Take what Aaron says, take what Matt does, Matt does says, 
smash them together and come up with your own fucking conclusion. Right. That's the thing. People were very bad at me for having Matt Dess on too. It's like, I knew you even less than of context. I had Matt Dessan. He's Bernie's foreign policy advisor. Seems to me like a good person to have on to have a conversation. Like some of the stuff felt immediately like it didn't gel with me. And I appreciated the feedback that constructively explained why and to talk to many other people. And it's not many other people since then. But like imagine like six months ago, I am a um, imperious imperialist lib for having Matt Dess on. Now I'm a genocide denier, denier for having um, Aaron Mate on. Could, maybe Radio people Act. could just like, consider the possibility that we're interviewing people to try to get some facts on the table and try to figure out the truth of what's going on here. Right. It's it's it just seems very it, and it's the same. It is the same kind of backlash that I feel like you had with the Vinay Prashad episode, where people mm-hmm. just oh no no this isn't good enough. You need to consider this. And, and that's fine. I'll always bring on more people, but it seems like every single time, and I would have to say, especially with the COVID stuff, mm-hmm. every single time someone talks to someone about COVID and I'm talking about someone like there are some people that just have an entire grift where they've just literally, they've just made a podcast and they just talk about COVID all the time, <laughs> you know, and so fine, whatever. But I'm talking about people like you where you're just trying to address whatever issues are going on currently current affairs yeah it's it's like just tell me like if there is a great argument against what is being said on the podcast just tell me just i literally want to know i don't have a dog in this fight just tell me but all of this oh man you just love genocides brianna brianna joy gray you love genocides you crazy how much you love a good genocide you woke up you cracked your eyes on that fateful Twilight hours on August 15th, 1985, you looked around the hospital room in, 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 the, in the ward at the Children's Hospital in Washington, D.C., and you said, God, not enough genocides happening in here. We should go Belgium in the Congo right now. That's what we should be doing. Like, it's, it's just this absolutely utter insane thing. But as far as the COVID thing, mm-hmm. this is one of the things that drives me crazy about COVID. I had a hobby Mm -hmm. about 10 years ago where I read like infectious disease over and over and over again. I read all kinds of pandemic books. I read all kinds of other type of stuff and every single one, some disease outbreak happens and everyone's scared and no one knows any of the information, but you know what? It doesn't turn into a global pandemic. Mm -hmm. And then everyone just dies down. Everyone kind of forgets about it. And then guess what? They find out 20 years later, it's related to some gut microbe Mm -hmm. reason why certain, you know, it's always one of those things. It takes time, Mm -hmm. but we're sitting here at each other's throats mm-hmm. in real time. Mm-hmm. I, I, and I, and I, and I don't understand it. And then the other thing that I'll have to say about the COVID stuff, which I, which I, cause you know, you kind of mentioned like the Cuban vaccines and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of the problem that people have with the Pfizer and the Moderna and all that other stuff is specifically the MRNA technology mm-hmm. because it was subject to the warp speed program. And I will have to say, whenever I think it was uh, Dr. Feldman had said, we need a second Operation Warp Speed. I was like, oh my God, that's cringe. Because that's one of the biggest things people have an issue with. What they have an issue with is the fact that the, that the information is redacted, that it's been, you know, it's like 75 years before you could actually see it. It was done quickly. They only tested it on this. And that's what everyone keeps throwing at it. Mm-hmm. It was done too quickly. So I wouldn't necessarily say that it's vaccines. I would say that people are saying not this vaccine. We don't like this vaccine. We don't like how this one was rolled out. 
Well, let me, and, let me ask you this, Shelly. Yeah. To the extent that there's obviously plenty of non-mRNA vaccines for people to take, is that really a, like a, like a, I don't know, like a germane issue at this point? You know, do you feel the, like, yeah, go ahead. Not, I'm sorry. Not in this country. We don't, we, I mean, all the other ones that weren't mRNA, that happened a long time afterwards. So... I Wait a minute. So out of, out of Pfizer, Moderna, and what, AstraZeneca? Mm-hmm. What? Uh, wh- I thought only the – wait, which one was supposed to be the mRNA? The uh, Pfizer, right? I Wait. think Pfizer and Moderna are mRNA. It's just the AstraZeneca that's not? I think so. And that one was the last one to roll out. I thought Moderna also wasn't mRNA. mRNA. And look, so there's there's a couple of things here. I'm sorry to not be – um, up on this, but part of my issue is so I oh and Johnson and Johnson, as people nope. are saying, yep, correct. But now I don't know what they're saying. What part of that they're saying yes to Pfizer and and Moderna, Rad Rad Grand Granola Girl says. Um, but okay, I have okay. So the the idea of them being very quickly developed, I completely understand why that gives people skepticism. The mRNA of it all, I gotta say. I didn't personally have as much issue with, and I don't know if that was because of my own meager but sufficient science background. I I, I didn't under I never quite understood. Like it's not I know that people have this idea in their head of like DNA manipulation or something as being, um, you know, problematic that it might have these other broader effects. I it it seems to me like that is not. so much of a concern although who knows obviously anything who knows but that the idea generally speaking of things being developed quickly not having testing long-term effects just generally speaking because there are all these other things that have gone into vaccines and historically a lot of the problems with vaccines have been with the um, substances that are used to preserve them ultimately causing the problems um okay so i was seeing some comments and i think maybe that it it does kind of bring it back to as i was saying is mm-hmm. that people uh, the vaccines that were produced in America pretty much all target the spike protein and that mm-hmm. sort of controversy. And other vaccines produced in other countries, such as in Cuba, mm-hmm. do not target the start, the the spike protein. Mm-hmm. They're more generic in that they are covering the entire, like they're basically taking the whole of it. Mm-hmm. And that sort of, and, and, but like, that's kind of what I'm saying. It's It's like, we're saying like, why do we keep having these people defend these vaccines that mm-hmm. everyone tests okay well then instead of you saying well what makes the cuban vaccine so helpful none of them have actually they've not they've not actually gone and said well what did make cuba's vaccine effective what if there was a a, an effective vaccine then let's go figure out what made it effective and how our vaccines can be better and then that's retaliation yeah it is it is very frustrating that if there were the even if you didn't agree with why people had issues with a, a given vaccine like the the solution there is seems pretty easy, and I think that's where the, some of the conversations about um, big pharma capture and stuff come into play. In terms of like the government contracts were immediately granted with huge sums of money to these companies to produce their, their version of the vaccines, and our R and D, our money went enormously into researching and developing these drugs. And so we're excuse me, we're all bought in in a way that no one will really admit to. So I think I think that's a perfectly solid point. If it really were this life and death thing and you were going to kill grandma and everyone's a terrible person for not getting vaccinated and it really 
you know, the whole world depends on it and Biden's election chances depend on it and everything is, is lighting up on it, then it, do we hate Cuba so much <laughs> that we won't even acknowledge? Do we, do, we, do we love Pfizer so much that you're not willing to just offer the alternative up to people? Well, and that's kind of the, just the thing. It, it may not even be that, but it's, it's, it's just we're so obsessed with these particular vaccines that we're not looking at any other solutions and everyone is just arguing over these vaccines that everyone has a huge problem with. And they're not looking at other types of, of like ways to prevent it, other ways to handle it, anything like that. And then we just scream about vac- about these particular vaccines and what they've done. And then, yeah, sure, mandates come into it. And then people have an issue with mandates. I don't want to take that Operation Warp Speed vaccine that has redacted, you know, like data in the studies. I don't want to take that. I'm sorry. Is is the is the fact of the development having not having transparency a a feature, a necessary feature of, and by operating Operation Warp Speed, I presume we're talking about just accelerated development of yeah. vaccines. Because like obviously, it seems to me obviously true that we want people to be very rapidly and have a lot of money devoted to people very rapidly devoted um, developing a version of the vaccine that actually prevents transmission. Yeah, no, I get that. I think that the thing, and I remember Trump saying Operation Warp Speed, this is a great thing. What it did is it dropped a lot of red tape. So dropping red tape means dropping safety procedures, means expediting those things. Like that's to me is more what it is. And I feel like that's kind of more in general what has people sort of hung up about it. But I also don't want to keep you that long. And what I really wanted to talk to you about was authoritarianism. And because I really do think that at some point the left is going to have to talk about a definition of authoritarianism. Is there, do you think the issue is that there is a confusion about authoritarianism or that there is a failure to distinguish um, kind of a, people associate authoritarianism with socialism or communism um, and don't kind of have in their room, there is not like a political or historical space made for the idea that the problem that has gone wrong in various iterations and various regimes historically is that they have been authoritarian and not that they have been socialist. Um, what I think that you would see if you, if you know, you read like Ingalls or if you, or, or if you know, you kind of read into those types of things, generally what the left sees as they see all governments as authoritarian, but in a capitalist government, the authority is wielded and controlled by the rich and the corporations. And they, using the strong arm of the government, are unable to enact the rich and oligarchic will of what it is that they want onto the people. And a socialist government enacts the majority's will. And that obviously has like a lot of these people that might have been famous or whatever in the previous time like yelling and screaming about this isn't fair when actually you're just saying no now it's fair for more people <laughs> like yeah you don't you don't get to just yell and scream and have your way all the time but we didn't ever have our way all the time so you had an authoritarian government and now we have an authoritarian government but ours gives health care to people <laughs> i mean do you really want the i understand what you're saying obviously yeah. but do you really want the argument to be um, authoritarianism for us, not for you? Well, no, what I think what my point is, is I'm just trying to like, everyone has this concept of what it is that authoritarianism means. 
And that's really what I think needs to be broken down. Because here's, here's why I think the United States government is the most authoritarian in the world. Julian Assange is not even an American citizen. He's an Australian citizen. He is a journalist. I think we've all, I mean, he's published things. He's all of that stuff. He hasn't done anything different than the Washington, than the Washington Post, the New York Times or anything like that. And just because he had a dissenting view, the United States is able to what pluck him up for crimes against the state. How can you basically be prosecuted for crimes against the state? And it's not even your state. I mean, it's not even your nation. I mean, come on, you, you can commit a crime in another country. I mean, you don't yeah, have to be a citizen of a nation to be, I, I'm obviously not defending the prosecution. No, no, no. Of I'm saying, but if you're in that country. Well, if you, if you violate, I mean, I mean, the argument, obviously I don't agree with persecuting people under the Espionage Act and I, I like, obviously, but the argument that's being made is that if you violate a country's laws, whether or not you do it, you know, however you do it, whether you do it remotely, whether or not you're a citizen, you can still be liable. Well, right. But what I'm talking about is in, in Julian Assange, he's doing journalism. And so then they're saying, oh, you broke our espionage laws. Well, how can you even be prosecuted under an espionage law? Because that means what are you doing? Espionage is essentially committing a crime of, of like treason. I see what you're saying. But a current crime of treason if it's not your nation. Yeah, no, I, I, I see what you're saying. Look, the reason that they're, they're evoking the Espionage Act, which is like a what, a World War One era act, mm-hmm. is because it's a reach and they know it's a reach and they don't have very much authority to get these kinds of people. And they're they're right. and so, rules to catch the fish. Yeah. But basically my whole entire point is, is that the United States government can induce the Swedish government to prosecute him, even though that case fell flat, they can ask the British government or they can force the British government under threat to hold him in a prison cell for way mm-hmm. longer. And then they can still extradite him, put him in a very, like a very distinct like district and then like prosecute him with no hope of a fair trial. I can't think of a more authoritarian government in the world than that. I mean, if, I mean, someone from okay. halfway around the world. Yeah. It's, it's obviously very authoritarian. It's obviously very authoritarian. I, I think, so this is, I guess, what I'm getting at. I think the argument that, the way conservatives make these kinds of arguments is not to, they basically, it's like a live omission. They say, look at all these authoritarian things that Democrats do or the left wants to do or da 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 mm-hmm. And they don't really say anything about what the alternative plan is and how that is obviously authoritarian. They'll say, for example, look at how corrupt the government is. Look at how much, various regulations thwart the ability of folks to like build new housing units or do these other things that are considered to be unalloyed goods. And, you know, therefore we should get rid of that, not bringing into focus that a laissez-faire capitalism also allows private industry to build nothing but a bunch of million dollar high rises that stay empty because they're owned by somebody who lives in not this country and is just a rich person and, they're pied a terre and you know like they 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 it's a sin of omission so i don't i don't necessarily know that we need to and, and that's shitty obviously but it works so i don't necessarily think that we need to argue that like no our authoritarianism is better than the alternative authoritarianism i think there's something to be said for arguments about workplace worker ownership etc that actually create more checks and balances than just relying on kind of um electoral democracy to that, keep things even keeled no, no, no. I, I totally agree. 
what I'm saying is I wish that we would not say our authoritarianism is better. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that it's kind of like what Nick said on the show. He said, countries have laws, Robbie. Like, you know, I mean, whatever country it is that you're in, I mean, maybe they have some laws that you disagree with, but I think it's more important to sit there and say, you know, whatever society, whatever societies are formed, they're all authoritarian in their own way. So like, you can't just label everyone or people you don't like in that one particular way. You have to have a more nuanced conversation about authoritarianism in general, and then you can have like a deeper conversation. Yeah, I, I guess I'm just, I'm a little bit worried about, you know, basically saying, well, everyone's authoritarian, authoritarian. I'm a little worried about what that means, like whether or not that will lead to a collapsing of meaningful differences between the overreach executed by various different kinds of government. I mean, I, it's mm -hmm. like the thing that Boat Blue, no matter who people get mad at when you say, you know, Democrats corrupt, and then they come at you with like, well, Republicans are more corrupt than Democrats. Like, I, I, I get what you're saying that at a certain point to have like a state is to be is to submit to a certain amount of control like we are in a society i just don't know that i feel like it's especially useful to characterize all of that as authoritarian because i do think that there is in people's mind's eye at the very least a meaningful difference between the kind of authority that comes from like not being able to litter or going to jail if you kill someone and the and the kind of authority that comes from you know being or spied on someone for eating a burger sure I mean, you know, it's, I, I, that's all I'm saying. I just wish that we had a more nuanced conversation about what it means to be authoritarian, because I think that there are plenty of things that exist in the current United States that are incredibly authoritarian and are probably only going to get more authoritarian in the classic definition of it. And I think that maybe it's something that, I don't know, just might need to be talked about a little bit, or, or at least the left needs to come up with a response for it. If yeah, well, look, let's, let's put it to the group. Let's put it to the group. I appreciate you okay, calling well, I'm gonna, as I'm always. Gonna, I'm going to go. Like, I, I didn't want to talk about it because I, I literally said we want to have it one time. I didn't mean to do it tonight. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, wor no worries at all. It's, it's good to hear from you, Shelly. Apologize. Thank you so much, everyone. Don't apologize. Keep the faith. All right. A. A, my friend calling from the other side of the globe. How are you doing? Hey there. Can you hear me? I, I can hear you. It's, it's an especially late night, so I wanted to make sure I got to you. What's on your mind this evening, this early morning? This early morning. Well, first of all, I will. Uh, I can promise you, I will not uh, go down the same road again. I'm not backing. <laughs> I'm not backing away from what I said, but that I will. I will spare you today. <laughs> By the way, I saw one of my ex-boyfriends in New York the other weekend. Uh, mm -hmm. He still had a bunch of my stuff, and we did a handoff. And he was like, "Yeah, I just checked in to see what you're up to and listened to, you know, the last episode of the debrief before we met up. And I and I saw someone making a really hardcore." pitch at you uh -huh. Uh -huh. I was like wow like you're in a you're in demand and I, and I want to say thank you a for making me seem <laughs> like a real hot commodity to my ex-boyfriend <laughs> all right I'm happy to do my bit <laughs> so I have called in and I'll keep this short of course I called mm -hmm. in to discuss mask mandates and I mean I kind of uh, there's some like there's a few stray strands I'm struggling with so I'd like your like your input yeah um yeah. so uh, the background of this is that 
uh, in India in the second wave of COVID, which was uh, in the summer of 2021. I mean, the government fudged the numbers as it does, but from from independent authorities, it, it would seem that we lost almost four million people just oh, to the Jesus. second wave. Yeah, yeah. It, it's what it was tipped us into. I think the world's worst uh, afflicted afflicted country, and so on wow. and so forth. And it got really bad in terms of like everyone. I mean, there was no one whose lives was left untouched by it, and we the cemeteries were uh, we were overrun. So there was like like roads became uh, you know funeral pyres. It became quite dystopian actually. And so my fam, I mean, my dad and my sister are both doctors, and they're both. Uh, like in the public, uh, like uh, public sector doctors, and uh, they both work for sort of the Apex Institute here. Um, so hence, they're both part of the institute that is sort of at the edge, you know, the vanguard of the research and at the policy making, etc. So I was trying to understand from them what what led to sort of the state of affairs. And while obviously the um, it was complete like lack of infrastructure, resources, corruption, etc., that led to it being this bad in outcome what they told me as uh, was the cause was largely mask negligence mm-hmm. i mean when once that is compounded by sort of india's population and population density uh, it can create this situation mm-hmm. so uh, that it was sort of whittled down to something like mask negligence had really taken me aback but then at the same time i was thinking about the fact that uh, because and so i'm not a doctor i'm a graphic designer so i i come to things from a more of a communications point of view. Uh, it got me to thinking that uh, while, of course, one big part of mask negligence is access to masks, and again, we get into a more systemic problem, I suppose. But even for those who do have masks, such as myself, like I I personally, I fucking hate masks. I like I can't stand them, and like I like to say that I'm I'm an anti-masker, except I don't have the balls to actually, uh, you know, <laughs> take it off. <laughs> Wait, so what does that mean? So you still you still find yourself to be fairly mask compliant despite hating it a lot? What what do you hate about it? Oh, I just I hate. I mean, I what don't what is there not to hate? Like, do you not hate masks? <laughs> um. I want to I will preface this by saying I don't have to wear it like all day at work like so many people do. Uh-huh. So for me, the worst mask situation is having to take a four-hour train to New York. Or hmm. if I have to like wear it for the duration of a movie or if I have to wear it for the duration of getting my nails done or yeah. you know, wear it while I'm – like long periods of time when I'm doing something. But generally speaking, I'm only wearing it like popping out to an elevator, popping into a store, pop, 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 pop. Popping into an Uber. I'm not having to wear so for a long time. So while for long stretches, it makes my the backs of my ears hurt. Okay, yeah. Generally speaking, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't find it to be that onerous. So, so what don't you like? Is it, is it just your face? Like, what's the deal? Oh man, I'm not. I don't know if I'm gonna come across very good. I mean, I feel, <laughs> I feel, I feel violated. I feel like uh, there shouldn't, you know, I should be free of. I mean, very anti-mask sentiments, quite honestly. <laughs> <laughs> do you have the, do you have the breathing problems people have, or is it like uncomfortable on your? Because it does mess my makeup up. I will say that, like hmm. when I'm going someplace where it matters what I look like, like sometimes I mostly get my makeup done at the hill, like there. But sometimes I'm running really late, and I'll do my own makeup at home while I'm like waiting for the car to show up, and yeah. I'll be irritated, like oh, I just did all this work, and now I have to put this mask on. Or like in the back when I was like dating more, if I went on a date and like I was like, oh, am I gonna still look good when I take this mask off? Is it gonna smear my my lipstick or something? 
But other than that, like, I, I look, I appreciate, like, I don't expect everybody to agree with me, but the fact of the thing just being on my face doesn't bother me. In fact, I kind of like it. It's anonymous. <laughs> you don't have to wear makeup when you go outside because you can just keep your mask on. <laughs> I, mean, I, I think, I think, I, so what I got to thinking was that, um, I mean, if, so I feel like we jumped a step. I mean, and I think I'm I'm proof positive of that, where mm. the way to make one's peace with the mask is mm. to kind of see that, you know, in the cost-benefit analysis, I mean, there's no question that it's easier to have one on than to suffer the consequences of not having one on at a societal scale. Mm. But it's almost like to get my mindset to shift into that okay it's not so bad versus what what could be if i don't wear it it's kind of skipping the step of me of me caring really or uh, like me or not caring sorry me getting how uh, how bad it can be without masks and, and and that feels like a real communication failure because it's it's almost like masks became a scientific decree and then a national mandate which is all sort of scientific and policy level stuff rather than a comms kind of, you know, appealing to people's, I don't know, Mm -hmm. consciences appealing to people's humanity. And also like maybe even like from, I mean, what comes to mind is the polio eradication campaign in India was, I think, I mean, it's considered one of the most successful PSA campaigns ever because they roped in uh, the biggest Bollywood celebrity. Mm-hmm. And he and I mean India's relationship with celebrity is also very deified and all of that. So they kind of tapped into that where he was actually yeah he was yelling at people from their TV sets saying you know how can you not get like your kids just these two drops that could save their life etc. And like millions thronged to the vaccination centers. It was this huge success. So it almost felt like I mean that to me comes an example where from a comms point of view where people's current. Uh, feelings and thoughts actually lay was accounted for while with mass it's like one day there was like we didn't even really think of mass wasn't a concept outside like you know doctor circles and then suddenly it's almost like uh you know it's like do you, i don't know if i'm making any sense it's like it's skipping yeah. that step so i remember i don't know how it was there but here in the early days, I mean, like, once we got past the whole uh, don't buy masks because we're saving it for nurses thing. Mm-hmm. And then we got past the whole uh, masks are not widely available because we don't build anything in America anymore. Mm-hmm. It was like there were a lot of articles about the efficacy of masks. And I remember mm-hmm. articles that had these, like, graphics that demonstrated that, like, if you were in a room that was let's say 10 feet by 10 feet, and there was one person in there talking to you with a mask, it would circulate through the room within this many minutes and infect everyone Hmm. in the room versus if the person were masked, this is the infection rate. And I don't know, I haven't haven't seen any retrospective on those pronouncements, but Hmm. at the time, I found those to be very persuasive. And I remember that first Thanksgiving when... You know, we were all being warned about the spread happening when we all went inside because it was cold. And it was during that surge, which shortly after the first booster came out, there was like, oh, let's open the windows because the graphs told us that if you're, if the windows are open, then the risk of catching COVID are down by this percentage. And it felt like there were all of these things that you could do that weren't as good as isolating, obviously, or not as good as masking all the time, obviously, but were inter- incremental things that you could do that helped minimize the spread 
But after that time, I feel like the conversation about things you could do that minimized things hmm. kind of went out of the window. And it was this all or nothing approach where I felt like a lot of, I think mostly conservatives, but correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not trying to like beat up on anybody here. But I felt like mostly conservatives were saying, you know, masks don't, if it doesn't work 100%, like masks are largely ineffective, so you shouldn't wear them. So there would be some study that showed that, like, say, cloth masks were nowhere near as effective as N95s or KN95s or even the medical paper masks. And that would be used in a conclusory way to prove that you shouldn't wear masks. And even the cloth masks lower spread by, like, 50%. Yeah. So like it was it was like this really weird thing happening where like everyone kind of abandoned it was part of this whole oh we're gonna have to live with it anyway approach where everyone abandoned things that could maybe keep ten percent or twenty percent or thirty percent as many people from getting COVID. But it was just like, no, never mind, we're gonna have to live with it. People are gonna get COVID, so why even try to minimize it? And that felt really like destructive to me. And, and by yeah. the way, it convinced me too. I stopped being as compliant with mask wearing because that kind of attitude affected me too. Yeah, but it it makes me wonder. And I'm 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 remembering right now. I think you had the interview with Megan Kelly, right? Where I mm-hmm. mean, you guys were finding some common ground, but like with I think it was with students and masks, etc., where she completely uh, dug her heels. And if I remember correctly, but I mean, it's like I I would imagine. I, Anyone who would fixate, you know, it, it's a slightly bad faith thing to do to, you know, kind of fixate on such, you know, dubious scientific research and talk about, okay, masks are not effic- you know, efficacious or so fuck them, etc. But I, I, it seems that it would, this kind of uh, uh, reaction would be formed because of some base and real discomfort with masks. I mean, that discomfort could be, uh, could be just uh, entitlement to masklessness. I mean, it may not be like medical or something. But I don't know. I mean, is is am I? Is there something to what I'm saying, which is that the acknowledgement of masks uh, being uncomfortable, which could be a spectrum from just annoying to I don't know, um, you know, uncomfortable respiratorily or something. Uh, yeah. Acknowledgement of that discomfort in discourse. I, I mean, it feels like if we started from there, we maybe we'll get somewhere rather than making it a moral issue from the get go. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm I'm really not trying to be insensitive. Like Robbie, for instance, we've had this conversation a bunch, and he says that like, he hates wearing masks. It's like the most uncomfortable thing he's ever been through. And I was like, well, mm-hmm. this is the most uncomfortable thing you've ever been through. What a <laughs> life you've led. So I'm not trying to be an asshole, but a like you know what it is. The world is a lot harder than the average American thinks it is. I grew up overseas. I, I, our, we had regular power rationing. You know what I'm saying? Like, we, yeah, I, was, I was like a yeah. rich person in Kenya, like, you know, by yeah. national standards. But we had regular power rationing. We went, there were months where we went without water. We had a big jug of water delivered to our house and had to fill up our bottles to brush our teeth. And we went and showered at the local gym. Like, things happen. There's bombings. People are subject to regular terrorist <laughs> attacks. Their roads aren't paved. Like, the power goes out and the, the traffic lights didn't work. There were mostly roundabouts as a consequence. You know, like, shit happens. And I'm not saying that that means, like, you're not allowed to feel discomfort. Hell, masks hurt the back of my ears after about 45 minutes. It really hurts. Like, I, 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 like, I get that, okay? But, like, when I get on a, on a train, I bring my overhead earphones and I just hook my masks behind my headphones and I can hang for four hours. It's not the end of the world. 
I understand that someone in the, in the chat said, well, some of us like to kiss hello. Okay. If you, if you, if you want to kiss hello without, first of all, you can obviously air kiss and without, like with a mask on, but if like, it really matters to you, God bless, go do that. If that's really, if that's the stakes for you, fine. Okay. Like, I'm not going to argue with you about it. It's, there's no mandates, do what you want to do. But like, can we just acknowledge that the scope of the concerns here are a little bit asymmetrical? People are like, there's communication issues. If you say so. Maybe I'm blessed because my hearing is good and I live in an English speaking country and I'm very fluent in the national language. I, those are my privileges. I completely understand that. Like I don't, I'm not on the spectrum. Like there's a lot of things that make it easier for me to, con I completely acknowledge all of my privileges. <laughs> However, <laughs> I, I have a little bit of skepticism when people are like, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's just my privilege speaking. But look, even if you if you are having all these communication issues from wearing a mask, God bless. Don't wear one. It's a free country. God bless. Me personally, when I don't want to wear a mask, I'm on. I'm honest with myself about the fact that I just forgot it and didn't feel like looking for it before I popped out my house to go and get some tooth toothpaste from CVS. I just I just own it. I didn't feel like looking for a mask before I went to buy toothpaste from CVS. <laughs> It's not about anything other than that. That's just, it's life. And I think that we can just own up to that and keep it pushing. Instead of pretending like, oh, my ear is like dingling off my head, almost severed. <laughs> I got blood running down my face because my mask was a trauma to my head. Like, come on, guys. Like, <laughs> come on. Like, really? <laughs> oh, I, I am 100% with you. But, but. Just zooming out a little bit to a <laughs> to a calm's perspective, to speaking to a Robbie who, as a rich white man in America, probably the discomfort he's ever faced. I mean, since these people exist, I mean, honestly, I might be one of them because I, like you said, I'm a have and a have not country. Um, speaking to those people where this might be the biggest problem for what and it's an imagined problem. It seems to me just because. For me, like the conversation becoming a mandate conversation kind of loses the plot because masks, whether or not they're mandated by the government, should be something that citizens feel incentivized to wear for fellow man. And it's like while it is being seen as a as a as a you know as a top down move, I you know it's it, I can imagine feelings being rankled. But when it is seen as a you know brotherly move, I I don't know. It just feels like. Don't we need those people to be converted? These people who are being ridiculous and thinking that this is a problem worth having. Look, what I want is an Operation Warp Speed to make the world's most comfortable mask. I have notes. Hmm. Look, hmm. lest you think I'm unsympathetic to the discomfort that masks can have. I was hmm. someone who was exercising in a mask in a gym for all of 2020. Okay? Like, mm -hmm. or that wasn't 2020, I guess that was 2021. Like, I, I was the person who was in a gym huffing and puffing about to be asphyxiated in a KN95 trying to run multiple miles on a treadmill, okay? I am, I am aware of the limitations of these devices. And I think that there's a lot of workarounds that we can get. I, I, I personally believe that the medical, like the, the kind of paper ones that doctors and nurses use. Yeah, the surgical ones, the disposable ones. The surgical masks. Yeah. Those ones, I have no airflow problems whatsoever. 
Hmm. Now, I think they're a little less, they're less effective than the KN95s. Yeah. But if your issue is like breathing, I fully think that you should just embrace wearing the surgical mask and accepting the lower, yeah. the, the lower effect Barrier. efficacy. Right. Just accept, like, I think that's a perfectly reasonable. Me personally, I, at a certain point, I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to wear the surgical mask at the gym. That's the best I can do. Okay. You know, maybe if the ears are the thing, like they have the kind that go around the top of your head and around your neck instead of around your ears. I read a lot that a lot of nurses were putting their hair in like little like Princess Leia buns and then wrapping the mask around their buns to save their ears. Human species is is creative and they persevere. <laughs> and I believe in our ability to maximize mask technology. Clear masks. I see people talking about communication. And people who are hearing impaired, I, yeah. I hear that. I see you. I hear you. I get it. Get, let's get on this clear mass technology. Got it. Like, I, right. like, let's figure it out. Let's get some Jetsons bubbles going. <laughs> Around, yeah. Whatever it takes. But come on, like, or, right. just, or just own that this is not what you want to do. Like, just own it. Like, it's even though it's minimally inconvenient, it's just still not something that you want to do. And that's fine. We're in a free country. And I see Walker in the chat. And he's right. At the end of the day, if you don't want to wear a mask, then I hope that you're at the forefront of arguing loudly that the government needs to improve the air quality standards in all of these public spaces. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, in summary, <laughs> in summary, <laughs> what I, 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 my tail is really between my legs right now because usually, usually I find you being, you know, compassionate and thinking of things as a comms problem to convert the unconverted. But here it's clear you think that this is really something people need to just get their heads around and get used to. Oh, look, if someone has some tale of how this one time they put on a mask and 15 puppies died, like I'm open to maybe I'm just like so ignorant of what can happen. Look, 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 look. In all seriousness, if puppy, if you... <laughs> now that puppies are dying, I, I see that I have I have lost this. <laughs> look, look. If you actually have like asthma, if you have a respiratory issue, if you legitimately clinically cannot get enough oxygen to live your life when you have a mask on, I'm obviously not talking about you. But you are also not the reason COVID is spreading, and you are also not the reason that per our friend A for million people yeah. died in India and in, what was that a year? Yeah, no in a wave. In a, summer. In a wave. Like, yeah. come on. Like just all I'm all I'm calling for is a little bit of proportionality. That's all. So if you're somewhere on a ventilator, if you're someone with a severe respiratory issue, I'm obviously not talking about you. But you are the extreme minority. And for your sake, frankly, I hope that there is a lot more advocacy for air purification standards. Because mask or not, you're vulnerable. I mean, yeah. Fair, fair. All right. I will leave it. <laughs> All right. Thank thanks for you. calling in, A. Keep Get the some faith. sleep. Keep yeah. the faith. <laughs> All right. Um, Samuel, what's on your mind? Hi. Hey. It's, uh, it's wonderful to talk with you again. Um, I have a bunch of things I could say, but I'll try to keep it to just a couple brief things. Um, oh, and one thing I just want to add first quickly is, uh, I hoped that I would get in to the call last time when Katie was in, mm -hmm. um, I thought that was a great conversation. I liked what you said about Katie being fired. I think you handled it well, you know, there was no perfect solution 
to that situation, you know, th there was no perfect way to respond. And I thought what you said was great. And I was hoping to tell Katie, since you said last time I was a Yiddish king, I wanted to tell her <laughs> she's a real mensch and she has a lot of chutzpah. And so do you. You both have a lot of chutzpah. So, well, thank you. I'm I telling you right now, it. at 1048, uh, the night before an early show, and I've got a lot to do tomorrow, I'm thinking to myself, why was I at all trying to stay on the hill? I could be getting so much sleep right now. <laughs> what was I thinking? <laughs> you know. Well, you may you may come back to that thought many times for who knows for years in the future. We'll see. But uh, I've and I've liked everything you've said tonight. I agree with with all of it. But um, but I also sympathize with a the last caller too, mm -hmm. where um, you know rationally I totally recognize that it is worth it to wear a mask and to be careful and to minimize the spread. But I've also always found that I sympathize with the just sort of gut level negative reaction of like, you can't tell me what to do with my face. Mm -hmm. And it feels similar to like someone telling me, you know, what clothes I can wear or what music I can listen to, et cetera. And I, 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 I just, I, I again agree with the sense that like, it's good to acknowledge where people are coming from and like acknowledge that people have different feelings about these things. And personally, I hated any time I had to comply with the mask mandate, even though I did it. And, you know, even just a few weeks ago, I went to synagogue services and I wore the mask and it was fine, but I had a negative gut reaction to it in a way that I did not about the vaccine. Mm. And, um, to me, I was like, I, I don't have any sense of like the purity of my body. That kind of thing doesn't bother me. I was like, whatever, inject whatever you want in my arm. I don't care. Just like do it and then leave me alone. And that made no difference to me. But but I stopped and thought about it. And I said, well, wait a second. Maybe to some people that feels to them the way it feels to me when I have to wear a mask. Mm. And maybe for them, it's even deeper because mm -hmm. it's this thing that they don't understand being injected into their bloodstream and that's scary mm -hmm. and it upsets them. So I felt that, I mean, I think I felt similarly to what you've been saying, like, why, why do we all have to fight about this? Like, can't we all get along? And, um, but part of that I think is recognizing like how different people feel very differently emotionally about these things. And that even when people yell about this is tyranny or whatever, Sometimes it's really just coming, I think, from that gut feeling of like, I don't feel comfortable with these strangers telling me what to do with my body. And I wish we could have had a more like understanding conversation about that. And so that's just my feeling on that. And I live in an area, I live in a state that's a blue state and um, there were mandates and people complied with them and there was very little complaint but I happen to live in a red Republican area of a blue state. Mm -hmm. And as soon as those mandates were over, everyone took those masks off and never looked back. Mm -hmm. And for me, that worked out great. I mean, it just happens that I fit in fine with that mentality. I was like, mm -hmm. okay, if you got to do it, I'll do it. I'm not going to make a stink about it, but I will be so glad when I don't have to do it anymore. Mm -hmm. And maybe, um, maybe that leads to more cases. Maybe that leads to more transmission, but we have to be careful and 
I think a lot of what was missing from the conversation, and I was only able to listen to a little bit of this latest episode, but it's just this sense that there's, there's a balance here, you know, and there are certain things that if we do them, they increase risks of transmission, but everything we do in life has some risks, you know, and people okay. have to kind of, okay, yeah. But come on, come on. This is, this is the part like, and again, there was a lot that I think that Dr. Prasad had to offer, but this is the part that I agreed with today's guests about being like a weird, um, I forget which logical fallacy, but a logical fallacy of some kind. The fact that everything in life presents risks, does that mean you don't buckle your seatbelt? Does that mean you, you know, buy a motorcycle and don't wear a helmet? <laughs> like, no, certainly, of course, of course. But but I do drive. And when you drive, if you go on the highway, that's a certain degree of risk. Well, I go well, swimming. I go well, swimming in the ocean. That involves some degree of risk. And I want to swimming in an ocean when there's a sign that says it's high tide and dangerous time to swim and you shouldn't swim right now. And there's also no lifeguards and there's a storm approaching. No, of course, of course. But even when those things aren't the case, those there's still risk. I mean, I go. But this is the issue. People are not great at assessing. Risk like this is like the fundamental problem. Is that people are not great, and we make we all make a lot. I'm not saying that we don't make a lot of other kinds of irrational decisions that don't come under the same scrutiny as, let's say, masking or not masking. But the the problem with this argument fundamentally is that one, there are there are a lot of risk taking behaviors that I would argue we should not, in fact, take. And two, mm -hmm. the risk reward is the real issue. We're not saying never kiss a person again. We're not saying never have a meal in front of somebody unmasked again. We're saying, is there, like, let's take indoor dining out of it. Like, I personally think it's not the greatest idea, but also I have to admit to eating indoor. Now that it's possible, I, I do it probably, probably 25% of the meals that I eat are still out, eat out are still indoor dining meals. Either because I'm meeting up with someone who I don't feel like peer pressuring them into eating outside when it's cold or rainy or because the restaurant doesn't have outdoor options and it's like a special occasion and restaurant like special oh, totally. something like that. And, and so like at the end of the I'm, I'm not saying I'm above it all, like just to be really, really clear. But I'm also mm -hmm. like I'll be honest with myself about the fact that I'm like taking on a risk that may or may not be that smart. And, yeah, that, and I think that, that's what I'm saying. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, and I think that's totally reasonable. I think that's life. And different people, some people are much more careful than I am. I mean, most of my friends are, and certainly were, as of like last year, much more cautious than I was. And I just respected that. I said, well, this is this is how they feel about it. This is how they see it. And um, I'm not going to try to disrupt that or like shame them or browbeat them. But you just have to navigate that different people make different choices. And, um, and I guess in one part, you know, I'm sort of coming at this as a gay man, a millennial gay man, but like having gay sex is higher risk than other kinds of sex, but that doesn't mean we all stop doing it. Um, well, and that doesn't minute. mean we're Come not careful. On. Like, what? So what? first of all, there's having gay sex and then there's mm -hmm. having gay sex while on prep. Like yeah. what, prep, prep being in the equation means that pretty much everything else outside of like herpes, which at a certain point, people of a certain age who are sexually active just lean into the idea that they're getting anyway. And also doesn't even hurt men, so whatever. But like at a certain point, I mean like HPV, but at a certain point, like 
everything else is curable with a little penicillin. So at a certain point, like, yes, there's a level of risk, but assuming a bunch of other things, you're in a country where you can get a baseline level of medical care, blah, 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 the risks aren't actually that high. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't well, compare. That's true today, Brianna, but that was not true when I was coming of age. Well, that was not true until recently. And I would argue that having unprotected sex at a different kind of a time with a partner with whom you haven't, hadn't gotten tested and weren't, you know, um, exclusive was a level of risk-taking behavior that I might not advise. <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, I, mean? I agree. I agree. But but there's still, I'm saying there, nonetheless, there is still a difference. For, for gay men, it involved certain risks that were greater than for my peers who weren't gay. That was a difference. And I was a normal gay man in that I said, well, I'm going to try to manage and minimize those risks. And there are certain things I'll do and certain things I won't. That that's I'm just saying that that's life and that I'm I'm just saying that we have to always we're always making these judgments and these counterbalances. But, but see, right? no, come on, like I'm not trying to be funny, but like the the fastest growing population of people with HIV is Black women. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I and I and I have often had the thought, oh, my risk level is higher because I'm dating Black men and all of these other kind of. That is of course true. Like that is of course true. That is not me saying like. I, I therefore shouldn't have a romantic life or, you know, like that yeah. I should, I should well, just throw I, caution to the wind because what, what am I right. going to do? Well, no, Bri- I just, Bri- Brianna, yeah, I ahead. think, I, I think we totally agree here. Yeah. I think we're saying the same thing. I think that, um, all, all I'm saying is that there's no scientific study that can exactly tell you what is that it's a value judgment. What is the exact right balance to strike of what you think is an adequate minimization of risk that you can integrate into your life, right? It's not, this is why I was bothered by this vocabulary that we've heard before of like, we'll just trust the science because, you know, my father's a scientist and I value science and I think I have some basic scientific literacy, mm-hmm. but Science is is a method for trying to interpret facts about the world. Mm-hmm. It's then an extremely complicated matter. How confident are you in those interpretations? And then how do you apply them to your behavior in your life? And it struck me as sort of an attempt to escape from this difficult process that we're talking about to just say, oh, well, there's some sort of priestly figure that is science with a capital S that just so tells I, us I, the I right totally thing to do. I totally that aspect of it. But now we're in this conversation. Now mm-hmm. all of us here together in this conversation about doing that kind of exact risk, risk assessment. Nobody here is like pretending that, you know, there's zero use to getting vaccinated or that masks are zero effective or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Not, no one here is like mm-hmm. in a denialist sort of a mode. Even though obviously vaccines don't prevent transmission, like we all know the things they do when they don't do. So I, I see Odo Jones here, for example, saying like, you go to a grocery store, wear a mask. Seeing a friend, if y'all wanna, catching a bus, train, cab, wear a mask. Going to a restaurant, wouldn't, but you do you. Hospital, absolutely. Y'all see the differences here? And to me, that that feels right. Like if mm-hmm. you are going someplace where there are people working and in that space, also shopping, et cetera, who don't have a choice, who like mm-hmm. to, to, to live their lives are forced to be in, in pro- close proximity with you or because they work there or whatever, do the common courtesy and wear the mask. If you and a friend are one-on-one or you're someplace where everyone's unmasked because it's a restaurant, 
the it's rolling the dice. The choice is yours, whatever you want to do. If you get an Uber and the driver says, I don't care about wearing a mask, they're not wearing a mask, then don't wear a mask if you don't want to wear a mask. God bless the both of you. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I th- I think that's all very reasonable. I just think it's a shame that there's been this lost opportunity to kind of have that kind of conversation when, as you said, like this extreme moralistic language that if you don't want to do it or if you resist, you're selfish, you're killing my Nana, mm-hmm. that that people leapt to that level so quickly rather than taking a second to say, what, why do these people feel this way? And like, maybe it's okay that they feel that way, but we can still, we can be understanding and then reason with them and work something out. And it reminds me a lot, this is the last thing, I don't want to occupy you too long, but the last thing is it reminds me a lot of the aftermath of September 11th, where like people were at least momentarily ready to say, all right, what do we do as a country? And it was completely squandered. It was like everyone somehow turned it, I mean... I think Republicans are much more to blame and the Bush administration really is primarily to blame for it, but it immediately was turned to agendas and partisan advantage. And it made me wonder, like, are we not capable of just having some sort of respectable, respectful conversation of like, what is our best response to this disaster and having some concerted cooperative, uh, remedy like it seems like everyone and in this case in my opinion i think people on all sides very quickly turned to how can we use this to disparage someone else rather than as you were saying what can we do to help each other right and how can we provide for people who now need help uh it just strikes me as as this huge missed opportunity um yeah i I definitely agree with that and what's funny is that when you were saying earlier when there was a mandate everyone in the, your community complied without a lot of fuss mm-hmm. and then it was gone. They got rid of it. I actually felt the opposite when there was mm. a mandate. I sometimes rolled my eyes at it. I would wear like the flimsiest mask because it was a performative compliance and not, mm. you know, I like, I was like, whatever I have to wear it. So I had a bunch, a big stack of the surgical mask and I threw them on and I treated them very performatively when it, I was on my own. It was around the time there was like a surge, I think, at the, around the time that the, the mandates went away. And I was like, oh, like I felt abandoned by the government. Like not that I disapproved of the that I approved of the mandates, but the fact that there was no longer lots of people just wearing masks when you feel like, oh, I'm on my own. They're not sending tests anymore. Nothing like I'm on my own. So I have to this isn't about me complying with somebody else. This is about me taking care of my own health. And it's it's like when the teacher says to you oh, you cheated, you're only denying yourself the experience. Mm. Or like when you're running and or like at the gym and your trainer or what I don't know, I've never had a trainer, but you know, like they're like, if you walk, fine, but like you're denying yourself the exercise. Like it's for you. It's not, yeah. I sometimes tell myself this when I'm on the treadmill, like you can go slower, but like you're, you're, you're not on this for someone else. You, you chose of your own free will to come here and do this. So you might as well yeah. get out of it. Yeah. What you want out of that's, it. That's a very interesting point. And I think it goes to the question of like, how much do we just trust people to make good choices if we allow it in their power to make the choice rather than mandating it 
And it reminds me of a lot of things like I, there's this essay by Peter Singer, who's controversial for other reasons. I won't get into it. But he said, in the US, we're allowed to pay people for blood, whereas in many other countries, that's illegal. It can mm -hmm. only be donated. Mm -hmm. And we have less of a blood supply than those mm -hmm. other countries do. Mm -hmm. There's something about the fact that you can pay for it that sort of cheapens it. Mm -hmm. Whereas in other countries, there are many people who donate for free. Mm -hmm. And because they feel it's sort of their their oh, duty, duty, it's their way of mm -hmm. contributing, which many Americans do too, to be mm -hmm. fair, but fewer. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so I think it just points to that question of like, if we just trust people and say, this is a really important thing for you to do for yourself and those around you, a lot of people are gonna are gonna pony up and do it uh, with with probably a lot less acrimony than I think we've seen over these past couple of years. But I don't want to belabor that past that. It's it's not even like my biggest issue. But I just thought uh, I would share those those thoughts. But I totally I totally am behind everything you've been saying on this call in so far tonight. Um, so I appreciate you, Samuel. I am glad you called in. This has been interesting. All of you are, but you know I appreciate you, Samuel. Well, thank you, and keep the faith. Keep the faith, my friend. Stay safe. <laughs> you too. <laughs> All right, Omar. Uh, what's in your mind? Hey, Bri. Hey, O. Que pasa? Uh, que pasa? Como estas? <laughs> I, that's it. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, happy Indigenous Peoples Day. Has... Happy Indigenous Peoples Day. Yeah. Amen. Did back. you see who was it? Greg Popovich pop off uh, the, uh, what do you call it? The Spurs coach? like just totally go off on one it was great oh he's the one who makes the really great uh commentary on a bunch of issues right does he i don't know because fuck the spurs but he was <laughs> on he was great today <laughs> <laughs> sorry i'm oh, still not over um them defeating the pistons in the championships and what was that 2005 six i don't know i don't want to talk about it anyway what's what's on your mind omar <laughs> Um, so I wanted to um, start off with an anecdote uh, because it's it's kind of with the purpose to kind of understand the context around that anecdote. Uh, like I, I've gotten all the vaxes for all the diseases. <laughs> I've got the damn initial two doses. The first one was Pfizer. I got the damn booster, Moderna. Uh, I wore the damn mask. And I still do. Uh, and like, I recognize that like, I might be one in a million people who had these kinds of reactions. Mm -hmm. But uh, like, I didn't associate these symptoms that I got after the vax. Uh, until a coworker was like, Oh, you should consider this. But one week exactly after the first initial dose, I got uh, brain fog, mm. extreme brain fog, dizziness, mm. fatigue. All of them pretty strong mm. that that went away eventually after six months then uh again with the booster i had the same pattern a week after the, i got the the injection um i had these symptoms again again for six months pretty strong uh and i wasn't functional and so i uh submitted myself to all kinds of blood work and I hate needles, but I got like 13 tests done on my blood 
to rule out anything. Mm. I got a CAT scan. I got a neurological assessment. I got a cardio assessment. They came up with nothing. And so I would, I kept on telling my doctor, I think it's a reaction to the vaccine. And she kept on fighting with me on it saying, maybe it's sleep apnea, maybe it's depression. I switched doctors, same thing, did more assessments, same thing. And I felt gaslit mm-hmm. um, and from my family as well. Um, I was getting this and I'm like, this is a sign of dysfunction in, in this country in, around this issue mm-hmm. and many other things, but it, it's just so fucked up that I couldn't get my doctor to diagnose it correctly or to even go down that line of inquiry so that I can get some relief from these symptoms. And like, to me, this is maddening to me because there's just so many, so many reasons for this, like that, that, that we have this political climate Um, because the government doesn't inspire uh, trust. Like, go back to indigenous people's uh, treaties not being honored. Like there, there's just hasn't been a government that inspires trust from the left or from the right. And at the same time, they want us to be obedient. Uh, but it, because they presumably care about our health. And if they really cared about our health, they would give us universal health care because there's some study that that shows that 300,000 plus lives could have been saved from this pandemic if we had adequate, like universal healthcare. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, you, you have all kinds of examples of this uh, kind of attitude towards, towards uh, the populace where we feel like we're being talked down to, patted on the head, like Fauci with the whole mask statements that contradict each other mm-hmm. and a bunch of other issues. And we don't get adequate education on science. And so, like, I think it's just, like, the lack of nuance, uh, nuance thinking is, is just mind-boggling. Like, for me to say, I feel this way, and then people to just jump to the conclusion that I'm being anti-vax is, is yeah, it's been super maddening for, for me to, to have... <laughs> Like, I mean, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yes, for sure. So just so you know, Omar, you were also doing the thing where you cut out for like one second every six Ah, seconds. I I caught it. I know know what you said, but just like the occasional word or if there's a delay with me starting to talk after you finish, it's because I'm not entirely clear sometimes if you stopped or if you just got caught up, cut off. Um, So, yes, I do think that that kind of um, gaslighting put everybody back and, and disrupted this whole conversation. And it's a real, like we're all in this place where we're trying to figure out how to get around it now. And you see me even treading into these waters. It's, it's very sensitive. Me yeah. even talking to Dr. Prasad makes me an anti-vaxxer, even though he's not an anti-vaxxer. Yeah. And yeah. then, you know, I, I, I do the thing where I invite people on, even though, you know, I, I don't mean this in a in a way to like I'm not trying to like dig up old stuff, but like you know, Dr. Feldman kind of came at me on the internet sideways <laughs> <laughs> and made some presumptions, not having listened to the episode. And I get that sometimes. Apparently, Dr. Prasada says some things 
out in the world that he didn't say to me on the show, which I completely understand why people are upset about that as well. But like, it's not constructive. Like it's not constructive to the conversation. And what was so curious to me about this episode is that when I tried to ask them like specifically, like, what do you disagree with? Or what is your, how does your prescription for what we should do differently differ from what Dr. Prasad says? At one point I asked them, okay, Dr. Prasad's, I think, overarching claim. I, I, I like, I agree that I think that I would wait, I would wait long COVID more than he waited it. I think he was kind of flippant about some of that stuff. But generally speaking, the argument that we need to be more nuanced about who we advocate vaccines for, because the downsides of vaccination, the risk of vaccination becomes more relevant as the risks of getting COVID are lower because you got the initial shots or because you already had COVID or all of these other kinds of things. Like, do you agree with that general prescription that we need to have a more nuanced approach and to take seriously people's concerns about downsides of the vaccine as long as the upsides are not what we thought they were, et cetera? And at first, Dr. Uh, Director Seltzer's response was like, well, no, I don't like, or what are the responses? Like, no, I, I think that's a binary decision that I reject. I want instead for us to have more nuance about, I was like, well, that's, that was the one of the things I suggested to you, more nuance, which is what Dr. <laughs> that's what Dr. Prasad was saying. But there's this weird division of people into camps and people like don't want to agree with each other. Yeah. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, when you peel away all of the like more superficial aspects of it, like they, like there is like these, these weird ideological camps where all of these presumptions are heaped on you. If you, I don't know, acknowledge that there has ever been a negative. <laughs> like, and, I, and I understand how that stuff gets weaponized to like terrible public health effects. And I understand what people are coming from when they want to acknowledge it, but hell's bells. Look, TMI, I'm a regular kind of a girl and, and having a period that was like two weeks late after I got my vaccines, that was yeah. kind of weird. I would have liked to have a conversation about it. I'm yeah. not saying I regret getting vaccinated or anything, but I would have liked to have a conversation about it. Like I said, I don't know if I said it on this episode or where I said it, but I saw a cardiologist in January because I have, I, and again, I don't know if it was the vaccine. I don't know what it was. I'm not trying to cast aspersions if that's not the, what happened. I don't know. But I felt like a marked change in my cardiovascular stamina. Yep, yep. After I got the booster. Yep. And I don't know. I also was sick around that time. I might have already had COVID. I tested negative, but I might have had COVID and then got a booster, and that's a bad thing. Like, it might have been my fault. It might have had nothing to do with the booster. But to this day, I went running this morning and was like, feeling like I was going to pass out after a mile. And like, what is going on with me? Am I just older now? That's possible. <laughs> a lot of things are possible, but I went, it was serious enough for me to do a stress test in January. And even though it's not my heart, yeah. maybe, maybe it's my lungs. Like, I don't know. So I'm completely sensitive to your concerns there. And I wish that I could talk about them without feeling like I was unwittingly convincing people not to get vaccinated or being an anti-vaxxer or, you know, whatever. Like, I don't know, but I do think that sometimes allowing the only this kind of conversation only happening on the right is not helpful. Yeah. Yeah. No, I had the same reaction uh, with, uh, with the vaccine as well. And I forgot about that. I used to go out every morning. I live in a really hilly part of the town mm -hmm. and I would go on a bike ride every morning. And I was, I got to a point where the hills didn't uh, do anything to me. Like I could take them very easily mm -hmm. right after I got the vaccine. 
it was so much more effortful. Like I could hear my heart beating faster. Like I, mm. I was breathing faster. And, but like anytime I brought that up, people would just be like, no, it's, it's probably some other thing. No, it's just, it, it just almost becomes like a religion. And I'm like, I was trained in social science and like you talk about nuance, you talk mm -hmm. about like all these, you, you keep on digging deeper into a phenomenon. Uh, like there's always something new to discover. Like there is no like, there's no like end of the road. Like you're always discovering something. So to me, like, it's just. <laughs> oh, Omar, I missed the last bit. You got, oh. you broke up a bunch at the end there. Oh God. Um, yeah. So I'll you said like, for it's... me, it's. Yeah. To me, it it is like people think that they know science and they trust science, but do they really understand science? Do they really understand how you approach things from a scientific uh, method perspective? Do they understand research methodology? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think the irony is that to really like, quote unquote, know science and res to respect science is to in some ways not be conclusory about a lot of things. Yeah. Not everything, right? Like smoking is bad for your health. Okay, like fine. Like I, I'm not trying to be like Philip Morris over here, but there there is a kind of natural ambiguity that can be exploited by the way yeah. To, yeah. To, to cover up real harms. But that's that's the difficult place that a lot of these epidemiologists and um, what Dr. Stelter is a director of a, like a more like um, public health uh, communications wing of this whole thing. And it's a tough job. I don't want to minimize how tough it is. I'm struggling with it. We're all struggling with it. But um, I do think that the certainty backfired. And now we're digging ourselves yeah. out of that hole. But thank you for calling in, Omar. Yeah, thank you. Keep I the have faith. Land back. Keep the faith. <laughs> Keep the faith. I'm going to skip around just a little bit and go to Maria uh, because I want to make sure to get some newer faces in and I can't stay much longer tonight. Maria, I didn't mean to catch you unawares, but can you unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind? Oh, well, good evening, Bree. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I, I just wanted to fill in, I don't know, a little bit about my background and some fun things that I've learned. Some of it's kind of useless trivia, but uh, if you look back throughout the centuries, especially with the Black Plague, there were things that were labeled and termed as iron coffin deaths, because even after the person was deceased, you couldn't control the contagion without mm. an iron coffin. Mm. Um, and that's because specifically uh, those were, those were germy things called prions that don't have DNA. They only have RNA and they replicate based on RNA and they're very, very unique. A strain of icky things like anthrax, which is mad cow disease, cryptosporidiums. There's just a certain class of things that are, they only have RNA, which makes them incredibly difficult, if not impossible, to kill, uh, not medicinally. So, that's that's kind of why the the mrna stuff is so magical 
in terms of, and it's really exciting in the field right now that they came up with those mRNA uh, therapeutics because it teaches it teaches our vaccinations our vaccines to make that specific proteomic handshake with RNA instead of as opposed to traditional vaccines that make that handshake with the DNA component. So even things that are contagious that have DNA, if you do that handshake with the RNA, that's way more effective in keeping them from replicating, duplicating, whatever. Um, so it's really exciting stuff. And I, I can't really say what anybody should feel about, about the time period of development or efficacy, but I've worked around clinical trials and in labs a lot. And I, I'm just saying if the vaccine comes out, I'm taking it because mm-hmm. this is really exciting, exciting stuff. And it's going to revolutionize a lot of things to come. Well, Maria, you're making me want to have a whole episode where I just get a scientist to walk me through, to walk all of us through the scientific mechanisms at play here. Because I do think that sometimes it's conversations like, I mean, we kind of just jump into it. And my, if we were talking about anything else, my inclination would be to very much start from the beginning. And we haven't done that here. And, um, you know, even this conversation with all of you lot have made me realize that I've skipped some steps that would really probably helped help me to have a lot more clarity on these issues. I appreciate you calling in and the people want to know what kind of dog you have and whether or not you have like a treat on your head or something. Cause it sounds really excited <laughs> jumping around the room and people want to know what's going on over there. Well, I, I have a lodger that showed up at my gate in mid-July and he's now fully vaccinated and neutered and I'm getting ready to adopt him but I can tell him to stop and fuss at him no no we're we're not mad at him at all we're just we just want to know more <laughs> but my pooch is Mabel and she's Aww. almost seven years old and she's about 70 pounds Aww. and He's a pit mix. Well, they're both pit mixes, but he's only about 55 pounds. But they like to play like playful bitey face with each other. So I, I can tell them to stop, but it's no, a no, no. It's, you're, you're fine. We're just all jealous that we can't witness the obvious joy that's being experienced at your house between these two doggies. And that you get to you get to watch them play with each other. Oh, well, well I'm yeah. not watching them. They're doing it behind my back. <laughs> they only do it when I'm distracted. I promise. <laughs> but can I fit in one more fun fun fact? Sure, Maria. Uh, one of the most amazing uh, innovations in melanoma treatment in the last ten years. Uh, that didn't exist previously is kind of a miracle thing and they're coming up with new applications all the time but uh, we all know how sneaky herpes simplex virus is right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
it, it'll go hide in the base of your spine and it, it's still not curable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if they deactivate it, if they deactivate the DNA and use it on an RNA basis, it is one of the most injected directly into a melanoma. It's highly effective. What's your Hardly. background, um, Maria? How are you? How are you up on so on so much of this stuff? Well, I've been around a few different blocks a few different times. I mean, I've I've worked in you know health science centers and gone to weekly lab meetings for multiple labs. And no, I'm not the scientist. I'm I'm just the person that budgets everything, and I'm. I'm a very alert witness. All right. Cool beans. Well, thank you for calling in. And um, I look forward to hearing from you again if and when I do the more detailed uh, COVID episode about, you know, what, what's actually the science behind a lot of these vaccines. Thank you. Yeah, Maria. yeah. And, and thank you again for your your Hill broadcast and solidarity. Thank in you. In terms of Katie, that I, I just – that – it just speaks to your integrity, which doesn't fail as far as I'm concerned. I appreciate that, Maria. I, I got to say, I'm honestly still, I don't know. I will take the time. We'll tell us see if it's the right, uh, the right decision. But honestly, so many of you guys wrote me and told me how much you wanted me to be on the Hill and appreciated me to be on the Hill. Um, no, so no, really no. I'm with you. I'm I'm totally with you on your your decision. And I I agree entirely. I I just, I just appreciate you conducting yourself with full integrity, every bit of the way. Well, thank you so much, Maria. I really appreciate that. Take take care and do keep the faith. All right, I'm gonna hop around just a little bit more. Rudy, since we're almost at two hours, I might as well just go to two hours. Even though I told myself I was only going to do an hour, maybe an hour and a half. But Rudy, you look a new avatar to me. What's on your mind this evening? Hey, Bree, I'm not a new avatar. I've been here for a while. I'm your biggest fan. Did you change your picture? Have you have you called in before, um, Rudy? Yeah, yeah, I called in, but that was like months ago. I've just been letting the new people get their share. Oh, okay. All right. Well, what's on your mind tonight? Um, Actually, I didn't even think that talk to you um i listened to you a lot while i was in taiwan and i was trying to figure out if my um, wife would uh recognize you and she didn't was sort of <laughs> sad about that um there's still time yeah, so, i can make my mark you know she she's she's lost it's all good um anyway i'm a big <laughs> fan you know i appreciate all you do and um i all that's all i want to say and i'll drop out Thank you, Rudy. It's nice to hear from you. Keep the faith, and let's peace. see if we can get. Let's see if I can convince your wife. <laughs> All right, peace. All right, Rudy. take Bye. care. All right, I hope Chris Brown doesn't hold it against me that I'm skipping over him and going to Jonathan because I called on Chris last time. But Jonathan, what's in your mind? Oh, I, I don't want to keep you too long because uh, I had to get up at uh, 4:30 this morning myself, so I uh, I feel your pain. Uh, I've had a weird schedule this week. I. I firstly need to apologize for uh, not being as present in your replies. You know, normally I like to light up the trolls. But, uh, work done, but I hope you know that that's not your obligation. I don't hope you feel like 
you have to do that. But, you know, I also do see you and I appreciate you out here. I do kind of enjoy myself doing it too, but, uh, you know, I, I kind of like, I wanted to, to, uh, comment on your, your, certainly your, your opening monologue here, which, uh, you know, I, I swear to God, I'm not a copycat or a yes man, but, uh, you capture the wavelength exactly, I think. And, uh, I wanted to let you know, like, uh, we had kind of, uh, you know, for the, our, you know, neoliberal tears, John and I, uh, you know, have our, our little call-in thing. And we had kind of like a impromptu, uh, little call-in episode after your, your joint, uh, live stream with Katie. And, uh, John had found, uh, an old interview from 2018, I think, uh, on the conversation on TYT, the conversation where Katie was interviewing you. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, we got a lot of mileage out of that conversation, by the way, like a lot of conversation out of that. Omar was there. And a bunch of other people, uh, you know, from a surprisingly large number of people from this chat showed up to that. But um, in any case, one of the topics of that, I don't know if you remember it well, but was uh, your your article that you wrote on on shaming and call out culture. Mm -hmm. And it seems particularly relevant because I noticed the vitriol in a lot of those replies, uh, especially around like those covid related issues. And it's, it strikes me as particularly relevant and like particularly for, you know, people that have been, uh, for instance, uh, you know, following you for a long time, like, you know, you've certainly earned our trust and our respect and, uh, and all of that. And you would think that that would be the first thing that would occur. And, you know, those impulses to, uh, you know, respond aggressively to those sorts of things would be tempered by, that thought immediately, uh, you know, entering people's head, but it doesn't always seem to work that way somehow or another. And I'm not entirely sure why yet, but you know, there's certainly, uh, you know, that's a, a topic you can go on about it, but it just, it struck me as interesting that, uh, you know, this was, you know, that psychology certainly seems to be at play here. Uh, you know, the defensiveness, the strong emotional reactions that are evoked, uh, in the, the shaming and, uh, and all of that. And, uh, it, it certainly, it, it seems to, to, uh, be a relevant factor in, um, you know, this, that conversation that you were having, which was spot on in your opening monologue. Uh, I also reacted the same way as you when, uh, one of your, uh, guests on this one came at you sideways, uh, on the Prasad ones. And I also thought you're, you know, the areas where you pushed back in this particular episode were, were also spot on. Like, you know, they, again, these guys had, you know, great information and, you know, by and large, I, you know, I certainly agree with a lot of what they say, but those, there are those areas that you push back on that, uh, we have yet to hear a satisfactory answer on from anybody. So, uh, you know, well done. And, you know, if there's, uh, any any bonus that I get for actually being a, a healthcare provider that's neck deep in this stuff, uh, you know, it it means to me that you know I, I certainly feel like my perspective is being well represented in these conversations, and uh, you know, uh, thank you for that. Oh gosh, well that's that's the best the best thing that a a podcaster could hear. To be honest, you know, I like I really do. I really do appreciate your perspective for a whole host of reasons, uh, Jonathan. And 
I, I love, love, love that you and neoliberal tears and folks are having these conversations and LOL trolling these old interviews. Let me tell you, that interview I did with Katie, that was, it's got to be like May-ish 2018. It was in the two-week gap I had between leaving the law firm and starting at The Intercept. Katie had this little gig at the time where... YouTube was like paying people to make some content or something like that. Like she'd have to give you the details. But I met her at YouTube studios in Chelsea to do this interview. And I was like, it was like, a, it felt like a very big deal to me. I, it was one of the first media interviews I ever did. And I had such a lovely time with Katie. And after that interview, we went and I like had a drink and went back to my apartment. And that's literally the day we became friends. <laughs> So it, it was tickles, glorious. It tickles me pink to think that anybody ever is still listening to that uh, interview because I remember it very, very fondly. Katie had a red top on with little white polka dots on it. I remember it vividly. She looked really cute. I think she had gotten her hair blow dried. And I was wearing, a, I think, a blue top and a blue and white striped skirt. And I I just, I, that, was, that felt like in many ways to me the beginning of a whole new span of life. In a whole new direction, and I was so glad to to have Katie for that that beginning part of that journey. <sighs> it, you know, it yeah. was like one of the amazing things was, uh, you know, there's some parts of it that you know made us feel nostalgic for a different time that mm -hmm. we've all, uh, you know, evolved in so many complex ways beyond. Mm -hmm. But there's also so much of that that could have been said yesterday, mm -hmm. and is still very much true today. And that was like that was kind of mind blowing. It was it was almost like uh, you know, like stepping into some sort of like psychedelic altered reality, just because like so many of those things a were still true, and were things you said that were true then, and that unfortunately not enough people have listened to you since, uh, because uh, we're still dealing with some of those those same issues you were discussing in that interview, and we you'd be surprised how much conversation and, uh, and traction we got out of, out of that interview. And so where, it was, it was delightful. Guys's, where can I find your guys' discussion? Uh, it's called what fresh hell is this? Um, and it was, um, John, what day, what day, of the, I mean, what day was it that, uh, was this the, the last episode? Was it episode seven? He'll say in the chats. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll find it. What fresh hell is this? That's a but, very charming. Yeah. Name. I mean, Amanda mentioned it in her, like the following day, she was like, you know, mentioning it in her little call in, uh, and you know, she couldn't remember which one she heard it on, but she was like, Oh, somebody found a, an interview from four years ago and it was amazing. And I'm telling you, it was a big hit. That's so funny. I, I haven't listened to it. I, since I don't think I should, maybe, maybe Katie and I should do it. Maybe we should listen to it together on a stream sometime and reflect on how much has changed and how little has changed. Uh, but look, you totally I, should. I, I appreciate you, Jonathan. I will look. Everybody go and, and follow and listen to what's What Fresh Hell Is This with two of our faves here, Neoliberal Tears and Jonathan. Thank you, as always, for everything, Jonathan. And yeah, the politics of shame, I come back to that over and over again. I wrote that article in part because I had been reading some psychological study after trying to understand what the issue was with my uh, recently broken engagement at the time. <laughs> and I was trying to figure out like why this guy was processing emotions in a way that I felt were not especially constructive and came across this article on shame versus grief and all of this. And then was 
you know, thinking about it in other kinds of contexts, including political contexts. And I still, I still think about that paper that I read. And I still think about when I see people reacting in ways, including on the internet, that don't feel especially constructive, like the stuff today. I mean, truly, like, the genocide stuff, it's like, either you think I really love genocide, in which case, why are you even arguing with me? I'm crazy. Like, I'm a sociopath. Or you're trying to shame me out of saying something that you think is supportive of a genocide by basically telling me that you'd believe I'm a bad faith actor. Like, how is that going to change my mind? If you think that I am a good faith actor who is just very wrong about something or being misled by someone, I really would love it if you could just explain to me why. Just explain using words. Just words. I love words. I understand words. I'm good with words. Use words. Use your words, as my mother would say, to just just, just tell me. It doesn't have to be polite. It can be acerbic. But I just want to hear words in a row that make an argument. That's all I'm asking. That's all I'm asking. <laughs> and Shelly nailed that so well. <laughs> all right. Well, look, thank you so much for calling in, Jonathan. Mm. I see you all. I, see, I just want to give a special shout out to people at the front of the line who feel like they were so close. Chris Brown, we spoke last time, but Anthony, I feel like you've been up front a lot recently and not quite making it on. I'm not going to forget about you next time, Anthony, Anthony, Anthony. I'm remembering. Ken, you're kind of a fresh face, and I wish I had called on you. My apologies. Paul, cute cat. Jonathan, we talk a lot, but it's always good. Scooby, that feels like a newish face. Carlos, I've seen you before, but not super often. Michelle, I see you. Should have had a little bit more gender diversity. That's on me. My bad. Andy Tucker, regulars. Boot, fresh face. Lysol, I see you. I'm going to call on you. Pedro, maybe a fresh face. I don't remember that avatar. The point is, I am really sorry that I can't get to you all. But when I tell you I've got an insane day tomorrow and already I don't know how to get through it, I, it's just, it is what it is. So take care of yourselves. I'll, we'll be right back here on Thursday to talk about what should be a really hilarious episode with Olayami Olaren, star of the John Oliver Show. I hope you guys all watch that clip if you haven't seen it already. And definitely check out uh, her co-hosting today on The Hill. It's such an awesome treat when she comes to town. Wish I was a lion in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot in a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can holler ass and travel with portable speakers playing Baja's scans. Wish I had a million hours. I wish I had a million hours. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. I wish I was a comedian. Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish the help was like, it's like, I wish, I wish. And every time we dive in, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. And every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish, and every time we love and it feels just like this, it feels just like this, it feels I wish I had a time machine, wish I had a better rhyming scheme, wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from my lime bean, I wish that I could spread my wings, I wish that I had seven limbs, yeah, that way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when